I've got to go now. I've turned the microphone up loud. I hope the transmitter holds out. We are abandoning ship. Uh, situ our position is in the Wangapara Harbour. I love you, Mum and Dad. Welcome to the Aotearoa Media Podcast. Tēnā koutou katoa no mai haere mai ki te kōnai uhurangi o... Ko Brent Simpson tōku ingoa. This week on the show we're going to look at the 1977 Roger Donaldson movie Sleeping Dogs. A political thriller set in New Zealand that features the debut of New Zealand actor Sam Neill. The film was also a seminal movie in the history of the film industry in New Zealand, being one of the first films to really attract international funding. 1970s white shop owner suggesting that the Māori owner of the island that the protagonist Smith, played by a young Sam Neill, wants to escape to can be bought off with a bottle of Waipiro alcohol. Sleeping Dogs really begins its uneven journey into New Zealand film history. Unlike this first corridor might suggest, it's not a great New Zealand movie. Its New Zealandness is sort of there, sort of not, and in the end it just kind of acts as a backdrop for an American-style thriller, complete with Itakoi attack helicopters, fighter jets, and U.S. military support for a fascist government, all the things that the USA was so good at in the 1970s. The movie's place in New Zealand film history, though, means that it shows up in almost every book on New Zealand film I know I've yet to get a book about New Zealand film that doesn't have sleeping dogs all over the place, and I got a few books about New Zealand film. Firstly, at the time of its making, it was sort of proof that large audiences would actually watch a New Zealand film all the way through. It was widely screened and, and well-received. And secondly, that there was actually the talent in New Zealand to make such films, even though Donaldson was born in Australia. Finally, the film demonstrated that to get films made in New Zealand really was going to need institutional support for the economics of sustained filmmaking. And so it undoubtedly led to the creation of the Film Commission in 1978 to support just such a process. The film was entertaining to a New Zealand audience. You can still identify with some of its more nationalistic tropes and scenery. Sam Neill's great to watch and his acting really much carries the film. And you can see why after this film he trots off into Hollywood for the next 15 years or so to star in movies over there. 
The film has a fairly clear narrative, and it's actually based on a 1971 novel by the New Zealand writer C.K. Steed called Smith's Dream. So just prior to this small-town racism of the store owner, we've seen the generic everyman whose name is Smith. I think we only ever hear his last name and never a first name. He was played by Sam Neill, leaving his 2.5 blonde kid's wife in suburban home because she's cheating on him with another bloke. And after having a conversation via translation with this Māori kumatua who gives him the blessing to stay on the island, Smith moves in and then shortly after locates some military equipment that's been stashed there, including a radio. So he tunes back into society for a moment, only to hear this televised address by the Prime Minister of New Zealand. We tried compromise. They all failed. And that is why I ordered the army to break the waterfront strike. You do not need me to tell you of the gravity of today's tragic events. It seems beyond belief that such a barbaric and senseless act of violence could happen here in New Zealand. What are we to do? What I know is that no longer will we be intimidated by the thugs wishing to plunge this country into anarchy. No more will we pander to the communists, subversives and other radicals wishing to destroy established law and order. This organized campaign of terror will not be allowed to go unchecked. Parliament will go into a temporary recess for the time of the emergency and a curfew will be imposed between 8pm and 6am. To lead this country out of economic and political chaos, I must have your mandate. If I am to accept the challenge, you, the people, must demonstrate your total and unequivocal support for the measures I am forced to take. A date will be announced in the near future for a national referendum at which you will decide if I am to continue to have that power and authority. It is indeed a tragic day in New Zealand's history. It is with a heavy heart that I address you tonight. But I know that together, if we work together, towards a common goal. We will have a standard of living and a way of life New Zealanders can be proud of. It's about bloody time too. So Smith's radio, as well as a few other goodies, ends up being a cache of military equipment for the guerrilla army that's fighting against Muldoon's, I mean Seymour's, oh sorry, whatever Prime Minister's name in the movie was, and eventually this leads to Smith's arrest where he is invited by the special police boss Jesperson to make a propaganda statement that will reinforce the government's position. Smith escapes and he hides away in Rotorua, but this time in the guise of a handyman in a rundown motel. The motel soon becomes filled with armed, quote, advisors, led by Colonel Willoughby. And at this point, the guerrillas are back in Smith's life in the form of Bullen, 
the guy who cuckolded him is actually a gorilla, and he now wants Smith, who has escaped from the police and is, is wanted by the authorities, to sound the motel alarm at night to rouse the Americans from their beds to be subsequently shot down by Bullen's gorillas. And now he really is part of the resistance. You know, Bullen, every time I see you, my life gets a little more stuffed up. Jesus, you piss me off. All right, just settle down. Just calm down, okay? Now, look, I didn't come here to fight with you. Let's just have a drink and agree it's a mess. A lot of stories going around about you. Living on an island arsenal, blowing up a police station, escaping from the specials. Got your picture up in every post office in the country. Quite a revolutionary. Yeah, well, the revolution's going to have to get along without me. Just because you're sitting out here on your ass in the country doesn't mean to say you're free of it, you know. You're not. How do you mean? You don't know, do you? This is a safe house. What? There are members of the resistance moving around the country all the time. This is one safe house. And you're running it, mate. You're a gorilla. You get your right wing prick. Yeah, me and a few thousand others. Smith's romantic motel interest is killed in the melee, but right afterwards he is reunited with his ex-wife who tells him she's working for the resistance before they jump back into bed with each other. Then they romantically bike ride to where Bullen is waiting in a sheep truck to smuggle Smith back to the Coromandel to another safe house. Back in the Coromandel, the two are confronted by the military, and so the unlikely duo take off in a car pursued by the military. From here on out, the film becomes a sort of unlikely buddy movie, as the two former antagonists are transformed through male bonding, and Bullen is wounded, and they start referring to each other as Smithy and Bully, and while struggling through dense New Zealand bush. The cliches are really flying now, and the masculine sentimentality that is the remit of the traditional thriller comes to its pinnacle when almost at their destination, the duo are surrounded by the military. Bullen dies in Smith's arms, and Smith throws away his pistol to achieve an ironic victory in death. The end. Smith! I'm not waiting any longer! Don't push me, Smith! There you goes, mate. This is it. Don't fire! What are you waiting for? Shoot me! Shoot me! Come on, shoot me! Shoot me! What you want me for? Well, come on, what are you waiting for? Pull the trigger, Jasper, son! Come back here! Come back here! I want you alive!
Donaldson has been quoted as saying, I think Sleeping Dogs has something important to say. Civil liberties are declining fast in many parts of the world. Although they don't all suffer from events as violent as those in the movie, there have been plenty of indications in the last few years that New Zealand is becoming a constricted democracy. If Sleeping Dogs has a lesson, it is that we should be aware of giving anyone too much power and the belief that he or she won't abuse it. Yeah, okay. The political message of Sleeping Dogs is muddled to say the least. And while Smith tries to opt out of society, as the old adage says, no man is an island, and as much as he tries to be apolitical, he's ultimately dragged back into the unfolding circumstances. His island is in fact riddled with the accoutrements of armed struggle and resistance, and his old school friend is now the chief of the secret police. There is no escape, but the film ultimately doesn't really explore the ease with which political institutions seem to crumble or how violence becomes the simple option. Ultimately, what Sleeping Dogs becomes in its latter stages is a buddy movie and an American thriller with explosions and shootouts, which is ultimately, I suppose, its success on an international stage. It brings Hollywood to New Zealand because Hollywood is part of the financial success of movie making, not antipathy and political analysis. If you want that, then it sounds like the novel explores this in much greater detail. My opening audio this week was a recording of a radio broadcast from the boat The Titty, which housed a radio hauraki broadcasting at the time as a pirate radio station from the Hauraki Gulf. On January 28, 1968, the boat ran against the rocks on its way into Whangaparoa Harbour on Great Barrier Island in foul weather, but kept broadcasting, keeping listeners up to date with its running commentary. Thank you for listening to Media Aotearoa. Please subscribe to the podcast, and if you can leave me a review or a rating as I'm just starting out, I'm keen for your feedback and any ideas you have for future podcasts. Kakite anō.